I'm really, I'm really excited. You know, I think to those who are inspired to be coaches or those who are coaches, I think coaches mm -hmm. all have this moment where it's just like, why am I doing this? Because there's a lot of dirty work, a lot of a grit you have to have. And uh, there's a lot of moments where people make you sort of question what you're doing. And, you know, you try, you, you have to know your why, you have to know what brings you joy. And I think also just having a solid foundation for yourself outside of the game, because, you know, whether things do go great or they don't go great, it's like that doesn't define, you know, like your mental status and stuff. And In my experience, it's not in what I'm seeing. And, and it, not everybody, of course, there's phenomenal youth coaches in this country. There's great youth coaching. There's phenomenal college coaching. I know a lot of people in the, especially in the Power 5 League that I've come in contact with who are unbelievable teachers of young people and mentors of young people. It isn't everybody. Mm -hmm. But this is a conversation that needs to happen. And it is generally people I see vulnerable people often male i will say that who are inadequate in their own knowledge or inadequate in their own feeling of self and you can see it you can see that the way they get by that is not by improving themselves it's not by developing their own skills or their own qualifications or experience it's by screaming at young at young females female staff or female players and it's not acceptable and yeah. if, if anybody wants to come on this podcast and tell me different we'll have a proper conversation about it they're more than welcome to because I don't see any empirical, any academic, any vocational evidence to suggest that any of this approach helps any player develop or win or be better or be a better version of themselves for the future. And that is, you know, that's my final point on really. Welcome to this episode of the Pro Player Podcast. Delighted to be joined by Alicia Whitehead, Hall of Fame collegiate athlete at Stanford goalkeeper. She played professional soccer in Sweden. She's the current director of goalkeeping at Arlington Soccer Club, USSF B license coach, and she also coached Jamaica, the reggae girl, at the 2023 FIFA Women's World Cup. Good friend of mine and delighted to have you on the podcast today. Welcome. Uh, thank you. I'm excited to be on the podcast. It'll be good. Yes, welcome. Great to have you. I think so much to talk about we haven't really done an episode on goalkeeping at this point, so this is exciting for a number of reasons. But also, in two of our podcasts, the idea here was to give to, you know, prominent females coming up within the game and working within the game and talk about everything on the pitch, off the pitch, give you a platform really to, you know, to discuss and, and talk about all the things that are relevant for people coming up and aspiring to do what you've done in the women's game. So I start with you. We'll take it wherever you want. Um, obviously a former collegiate player coaching now at the highest level at the World Cup. What a journey. Yeah, it's, um, it's definitely been a fantastic journey. Um, definitely a lot of ups and downs, um, but definitely blessed and fortunate to to say I've coached at the highest uh, of the highest, you know, and so um, it was an amazing experience. It was great to work with the staff and also just huge credit to the players who were selected to go to the World Cup because they are the ones who made um, history for Jamaica, not only Jamaica, but just like small CONCACAF countries and everything. So um, definitely proud for them. I know there's a lot of ups and downs that has happened with the JFF and everything, but just to see how they are resilient and um, not only stand up for themselves, but to stand up for the future of women's soccer in the country of Jamaica. It's just been huge to see what they've done, um, not only in this World Cup cycle, but the World Cup cycle before. So it's been cool to be a part of that. It's an amazing story. It's one obviously very close to my heart as well. But I think just, you know, a nod or a dot of the cap towards everybody involved with the reggae girls, all the players, as you said, 
all the staff, everybody behind the scenes, the Sadella and his team and everybody else who, you know, have literally put the, the team on the map and the team continues to inspire Jamaicans all around the world. And and everybody in the world of women's football, I think, has been inspired by the story of the reggae girls. So we're definitely going to get into that and talk about what it was like to be there and actually go through it. If we can, let's start with the dream because you've done something that, you know, a lot of our listeners all across the world will one day dream of doing as you start out your coaching career or your, your playing career and then transition to coaching, you have coached at a World Cup. So when you started, that must have felt like, you know, a, a dream a long way away. Um, can you talk to us about maybe those early days when you, you know, you had that ambition and that dream before you realised it and perhaps what it was like to kind of look into the future and, and, and maybe start there? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think for me, what's funny is like how I started to play soccer. I was little, a lot of energy. Uh, my parents need to get the energy out of me, so I behaved myself. And so they actually had looked at a newspaper article. Um, I grew up in Mississippi, and they saw it for like recreational soccer, so they signed me up. And so the first year I played, you know, it was a lot of fun. Um, I was overly competitive, got quite frustrated because uh, that's the level you have teammates who are you know, playing with grass, playing with the bugs that are rolling around. And it's like, I'm trying to win and compete and stuff. And so what was cool was, is my mom who's Jamaican, she actually uh, got her coaching license so that she had coached me. And so uh, that's, that's like the start of my career. I actually started out as a field player. Um, I'm 6'3", for those who don't know, so I'm really tall, but I didn't start out as a goalkeeper. So I was just towering and just, you know, running over people, trying to win and, you know, compete and everything. And so uh, what's interesting is when I switched to goalkeeping, um, the funny part about it, I wasn't expecting to be a goalkeeper and I made like the all-star team. I think I was like 11 or 12 and we didn't have a goalkeeper. I thought I had like a lights out tryout, score all these goals, you know, made my like mark in that tryout and um, made the team. And then the coach was like, you're the tallest, you're in the goal. And so I think at the age of 11, which is, you know, like fifth grade or so, I think I was probably around like five, nine, five, ten. So I was obviously the tallest, but um. Uh, grew a love for it. Um, for me, it's just like, you know, I can be the last line of defense who can prevent goals from happening, uh, can be that person in the goal who can sort of like shift the momentum of the game. Uh, if a team is like, you know, getting a lot of shots, just keeping them out of the goal, you know, sort of like making the morale low for the opposition and then, you know, creating a moment to, you know, sort of like shift the energy of my team to want to like realize, hey, we're in it, you know, and stuff. And so that's been sort of what has been, um, I guess a drive for me as a goalkeeper and everything. And so uh, then I realized when I started playing club soccer that being a goalkeeper, you actually can get a pretty decent scholarship and stuff. And so I uh, decided to go to Sanford University. It wasn't too far from the family, but just far enough, you know, just to like be mobile independent. Um, I would say huge credit to Todd and Jay Elton for sure. Uh, their brothers, Todd's still at Sanford, Jay's at ETSU. Um, for believing in me because I was definitely a raw athlete but had a lot of drive and they noticed that in me and invested in me and everything and so ended up having a successful four years of uh collegiate soccer and everything ended uh with winning the conference tournament first round NCAA tournament played the Florida State which is like you know they just won a national championship this past year and uh I guess a little bragging for our team we didn't get scored on to like the 76th minute of that game and they only beat us 2-0 which everyone had basically said eight zero minimum was going to be the score and everything and stuff. So that was a cool way to end the the season there. Um, I think when I first became a goalkeeper, it was uh, 
yeah, the 1999 World Cup, and I saw Brian Gray make the PK save versus China. And when I saw that moment, I was like, I want to be her. I want to be like her. And so for me as an African-American female, it's like to have that representation that made it reality that the dream, if I wanted it, I could go for it and everything. Um, obviously, it looks a little bit different because I actually coach versus playing. But I think just being in an environment, it's uh, it's huge in itself, whether you're a coach or a player. Um, so you know, definitely grateful for people like her who are trailblazing and there's people who are still trailblazing right now. So thankful for those who um, are are doing hard things with not really having mentors in front of them so that it shows myself and other younger uh, coaches and players that, hey, you can do it too. Because I think what's happening now is like you're seeing an influx in more and more of players who you might not have seen like a decade ago who were like going to the whole youth system and the pro system and everything. So that's been awesome to see lately. Um, so after I finished playing college, went overseas and played pro for three years in Sweden. That was a fantastic experience. Uh, Sweden's a fantastic country. It's safe. It's fine. It's funny because when I first came back from playing pro, I was like, okay, you're not in Sweden anymore. You're back in the U.S. So you're going to have to have your head in the swivel a little bit more. So, um, but that was a great experience. Made lifelong friends there, you know, um, and did like sports ministry there too. So that was cool to do those things together. And then um, how I got into coaching is actually quite funny because my undergrad degree is in biochemistry. And so at the time I was thinking, you know, like PA school, PT school, med school and everything. And actually the Yeltons talked me into coaching and they said, you'd be a fantastic coach. And when he initially said that, I said, you're absolutely crazy. Um, you guys work way too hard for not enough credit nor salary. Um but I, I coached the ID camp in between one of the years I was playing pros. I would go back there and train and everything in the off season. And um, I realized that I could help people uh, through the game of soccer. I think soccer is a sport, football internationally is what it's called, but um, it's a sport that can unite so many people who would never probably interact with each other just because a ball and two goals are like set up. So I think that's pretty cool. And you can build relationships and get to know and learn about people who are different from you and that, I think it is huge in life is meeting people who are not the same like you and interacting and, you know, speaking with them. And that helps you grow as a person and help you realize that, you know, not all your thoughts are like the end all be all, you know, like be open-minded and learn and grow and stuff. And so um started coaching college soccer, coached at Sanford and my alma mater for three and a half years. Um, then I went to California. I got to coach with uh, Twyla Kaufman, who I think is Twyla Kilgore now. She's now one of the assistants for the full team. Um, so that was pretty cool to just be able to work under her wing for around two years to just learn from someone who understands the game at a high level, which is obvious because she's coaching at the highest level. Um, and then from there, moved to FIU in Miami, um, got to work under Sheralta Nonin. She's a Canadian, a Canadian. She's probably like one of the Canadian 99ers, like big, well-known player back in the day there. So just got to like, you know, watch her also just have the representation of another African-American female coach. Um, just working for her and seeing how things um, work for her as, you know, just in college soccer and just in general and stuff, you know, still a very close friend, talk to her all the time to see how she's doing. Um, then from there, got to be a head coach at Milligan in AI school. Um, I realized in AI, a lot of credit and prop, uh, props to those coaches there because you have even less resources and you're pretty much doing everything yourself and everything. And so, uh, just decided to make a, a career movement back into division one because I knew like the opportunity of coaching in the world cup would happen. And I just didn't feel comfortable leaving in FIFA windows with a team where it was basically me just coaching. I really didn't have an assistant coach. So uh, then moved to the Fairfax area and work with George Mason and everything. And so 
Um, huge, huge props to Monty Papioni because she allowed for me every FIFA window I needed to leave and go to. I was able to do that and, um, you know, work remotely and everything there. So, uh, yeah, that's that's my story leading up to the World Cup and everything, you know, and thanks, uh, you know, Buzz and Lauren and everything and you know, the JFF staff for like, you know, trusting that I could uh, could help out as a keeper coach uh, in this whole World Cup cycle and everything. And also just major, I would say, props to the goalkeepers who were at the World Cup, you know, Sydney, Leah and Becky. Um, they they were a pleasure to work with. They're awesome human beings. And what was really cool is like, you know, you hear this, this like the statement GK Union. Um, mm. They really exemplify that at a different level and stuff, you know, um, supportive of each other, had each other's backs, worked hard for each other, pushed each other. And not only that, because like Leah's a freshman in college right now and is probably the future of the uh, JFF reggae girls, like goalkeeping, like down the line and everything, because um, a lot of a lot of potential there. But just to see how Sydney and Becky like basically took her under their wing and like mentored her and helped her get some uh really just critical information and understanding of the game and the position that she can now take back to Washington State. So um yeah. So that's that's sort of how that goes for me and everything. And now um goalkeeper director at Arlington for the Academy goalkeepers. And that's been a lot of fun, you know, just working on the youth side and help develop um goalkeepers from the age of between 11 and 18, you know, um, at all different levels and stuff. And so just looking forward to continue to help the club um, from that standpoint, because I think I've come to the realization that um, youth soccer is probably the biggest developmental time frame that can lead to what happens in college and professionally and national team and stuff. So that's been neat to be a part of that too. What, I mean, what an amazing journey. Uh, and obviously, you know, still going, but there's so much to unpack there. I feel like I definitely want to get into the um, discussion around the goalkeepers union and maybe not debunk a few myths, but there's definitely some things about goalkeeping that people generally think they know, but I don't know how much truth is in some of them. So definitely want to get into that with you and certainly managing a high performance team of three superb goalkeepers at a tournament as well. There'll be a lot of people listening and want to know all about that, but I feel like one of the best places we can start, at least uh, is, if we could reach out and speak to people in the industry, people, you know, making the decisions, people working in the game right now, or people even stepping into the game, as you did all those years ago, and we could talk about some of the barriers that are there and, you know, what problems there are to progressing for a female African-American coach, um, what would you say? You know, if we could talk to those people, what would you say needs to be said? Um, I think like what needs to be said is it's like, you know, um, it's sort of an interesting, I would say, time frame, just dealing with especially youth players and college players. Um, I have this theory that unfortunately, like social media, YouTube, all those things are fantastic, but I think they're also a big issue because it puts this pressure that everyone feels that they have to be perfect um, from one side of thing. And I also think the other issue it creates too, is like, you now have access to people all over the world that you probably would never talk to and you don't have a relationship with. And you can see that, oh man, look at them. Like their life is great. They have a, a B, C, D, E, F, G. Um, but you only see like 30 seconds or like even just a picture, which is a millisecond. And then you determine, okay, like I want, I want that, but you don't understand the process. Or, um, you know, you sort of feel like, oh, I can't get that because they have that and their life looks perfect and everything is great. And um, I think, you know, we sort of need to go back to before the cell phone time where you recognize that everything is a process 
And um, if you really want it, like you have to create a game plan. You know, it, you need a circle of people who can support you and mentor you and help you and push you uh, to reach those goals and everything. And just understand that success doesn't happen overnight. And so I think that's something that needs to be said to so many, because I think, you know, just with the recruiting process, you know, for like going from youth to the college game, uh, so many players are stressed, have anxiety, even, you know, suffer with being sad of how things are going um, because they they go on social media and see that, you know, so-and-so has committed to this big school and like all these great things and these graphics and stuff. And in my opinion, I think like social media from that standpoint is not, it's it's more fictional than than real life and stuff and everything. And so we, um, we've think- spoken about that before on the podcast. It's definitely a... An issue I think that you know modern the modern world is social media first and the real world second isn't it you're right and we've definitely that's definitely something I think we want to talk about more as the podcast goes on do you think there's been a change then Alita in terms of like barriers that stop coaches coming female coaches coming into the game African-American coaches coming into the game any you know we we want a more diverse we want a more inclusive game we want more opportunities to go because okay. ultimately the more you know diverse inclusive the pool of talent is on the coaching mm-hmm. side and the playing side, the better the, the, the game will be. Do you do you see a change from the time you started to now? Is it changing or is obviously there's more work to do? But what 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 do you, you say know, to people on that? Yeah, I think there's definitely a change. I think, you know, you have coaches who are trailblazing, like the head coach at Brown University, you know, like she's creating success. I think I think two things sort of happen, not only just being a African American female, just being like African American or, you know, a minority is just those opportunities and resources. It might just be something that, you know, you have to, you sort of need someone to help you through to create a door for you to get the opportunity to. Um, I think another thing that's sort of sad is like racism is still a thing. It just looks different. It's not so like out in the open, but I think it's more of like, you know, how you're perceived behind closed doors and people can be nice to your face, but then like behind closed doors, you know, that's not really their true authentic self and how they think about you and and that's only just because of your skin color and that's it so that's sort of sad that that's still an issue um and so I think it's also just probably an investment I think there's some there's starting more initiatives and investments of you know trying to get more uh you know minority female male coaches into like these uh bigger environments and stuff but I think also you know it's just like the preparation of doing that's important too, because if these doors are open and you're not prepared, like that sort of defeats the purpose of it too um, and everything. So I think that's that's the big piece of the puzzle. I think, you know, sometimes in America, people have a bit of a, a narrow mindset. And so you, I definitely have been like stereotyped, just like walking into a room, like, you know, you assume that you don't have intelligence or you're not capable of doing something. And then it's sort of like, I have to play this game up. I have to just be who I am authentically, authentically, and then um, just grind and work hard, and eventually you'll see. Oh wow, like you actually know what you're talking about. And so, I think that's that's the big issue that's happening right now and stuff. And you know, it takes it takes a certain mindset to want to have to go through and and deal with that and know that you're being judged walking into the room versus like, okay, you know, you do have qualifications and do understand what you're doing, and that you can be like helpful in the game where you're working or just overall and stuff and so um i think that is there any is there any truth in saying that you have you have to go the long way around so but some other people might have been accepted in terms of immediately like you say you walk through the door and, and a perception is is made so you have to go the long way around to prove your value or prove your worth 
that's part of the problem, isn't it? That you have to go the long way around. Yeah, I would say, yeah, definitely have to go the long way around. I think for me, it's just like, you know, like I said, I've had people who have vouched for me and those people, you know, their words mean a lot. And so I'm grateful for that. But, you know, I think if I didn't have those people, then it would even be a longer way around and everything and stuff. And so um, I think that's a challenging piece, not only for just um, minority coaches, but even like female coaches in general, because I think another thing that happens too is um, there's a lot of coaches out there and there's a lot of coaches who don't necessarily go about things the proper way. I think, you know, um, in my opinion, the, the premise of sports is to put someone in a safe environment to deal with adversity and hard things and to develop their character and, and moral capabilities so that when that it's all said and done, whether you decide to be a coach or go on to do something else, it's like you're prepared to do challenging things because that's that's a big thing that happens in life is can you handle adversity and doing challenging things? And so I think what's sort of shifted now is everyone is so focused on getting things instantaneously that when things necessarily don't go their way or you try to challenge them to push through the challenges, uh, there's a lot of players out there who will, who will turn on you real quick and stuff. And so I've definitely witnessed and seen that with coaches who are actually high caliber, high level coaches. And so it's like, you know, I think in the coaching game, if you want to see more female coaches who understand the game and can actually give back a lot, who've played at a high level and everything, it's like they need support from those who are above them. And I think that's a big piece that's missing is just that support above also. But I, I think agree. Long way. I agree. It. Yeah. I think, you know, hopefully, you know, we can, you know, we can add to the debate here about opportunity. Yes, there has to be more opportunity and, uh, we are seeing, you know, a little bit of that now, I suppose, in the hires that are being made in the game and everything else. But as you say, you're, you're humble and honest enough to say that opportunity doesn't really matter without a certain level of preparedness. And I, so I think everybody understands where you're coming from there. But I think it is incumbent upon us all to, as you said, add to the situation where we are no longer making any coach go the long way around. And yes, everybody has to uh, prove their value, prove their worth. But Sometimes I feel like you've already done that when you walk into the room, um, and it shouldn't it shouldn't perpetuate itself in that way. What um, what advice would you give then to you know the listeners here or people who might come across this and and they are starting out their journey or maybe they're in the industry and they're feeling that frustration they they might be currently going a long way around themselves. What advice and what strength could you give to them? Uh, I think my advice would be first of all is stay true to yourself. Um, there's always someone out there who's not going to like you. And typically when people feel that way, it's insecure they have of themselves. Um, so don't let that think that that's, it's a you issue. It's a them issue. Um, I think the other thing too is, is figure out how can I be ready? Like if you have a dream or aspiration, um, you know, like I said, creating that plan and executing that plan. And uh, I think that's huge. And then the last thing I would say is, is, um, realize that you never arrive like you're always learning so it's just like how can I learn and improve uh, my understanding of just like different concepts whether it's the the football behind it whether it's the culture piece whether it's managing people leadership like there's always somewhere some area that you can grow in and um, I think also I'd say is just like having the awareness to like do the hard thing of assessing yourself and where you're at because I think you know ego gets a lot it, it can it can cloud and hinder um people's true ability to rise to the, the high level that they want to rise to but you also have to 
humble yourself, look at yourself and ask, okay, where can I grow? Where can I be better? And that's just a, a process of reflection, I would say. Great advice. And I, I want to pick up on the point you made about, um, you know, the environment still surrounding, you know, minority coaches, players, you know, soccer obviously is one of the mo most inclusive sports in the world and will continue to be so. And I've said it on the podcast before, if you disagree with that, then go and find a different sport. But ultimately, I think even in my own life, moving across the world from, from Wales and coming to live in the United States for a decade, I think I've been challenged and I've seen things that I wouldn't have seen had I not have travelled and moved and, and lived in another country in that way. And and perhaps early on in my time in the, in the United States, it wasn't so much about being tested on the field as it was about being tested off the field. And that gave me an opportunity to see things through other people's eyes. And that was the beginning of me really going on a journey of understanding what it is like for somebody else when I necessarily haven't felt those pressures or those roadblocks or those or, or the privilege that I have had that I wasn't even aware of perhaps in my journey. Um, so maybe if we can speak towards that a little bit as, as we wrap this section up, because it was definitely a life-changing thing for me in my early 30s to go through that. And I would like uh, the listeners to perhaps um, getting the benefit of your of your wisdom on that as well. Yeah, I think I think what's what's cool with our friendship and everything is initially when we worked together, I definitely recognized that you're just willing to listen and be understanding. Um, I think that's a huge issue that people miss out on, especially you know not only in soccer but just in life in general. It's like you know I think everyone is trying to. No one wants to hear that they're wrong, um, and so I think also everyone wants to be heard. I think that's two things that it's, it's a big, it's just human nature. And so I think, you know, just when it comes to um, those who are trying to pave a way, you know, as a minority, as a female, you know, just whatever, whatever minority, like, I guess, label you have on yourself. Um, you know, I think it's just all about conversation. And I think healthy conversation is what it starts with and stuff. And so, and it, and it goes both ways. I think, you know, if you can sit in a space and you can have a healthy conversation, you might not agree, but if you can just listen and then the other person can say what, how they feel, what they're experiencing, and you can listen to, you don't necessarily have to agree, but if you can have this respect, I think it's just, we just need to respect all people. Like it's, it's a very simple concept. Um, and so I think, like I said, it's just, it's about having the conversations, having the hard conversations, but having the hard conversations in an effective way, you know, and be willing to listen to people and then brainstorm ideas from that. And, you know, how can we, how can we grow to make the playing field that is based on like, what's your experience and how you can help serve whatever team that you're coaching at the capacity that it needs and stuff. I think that's what um, is definitely needed and everything. But I think a lot of times ego gets in the way. And I think everyone is trying to fight and climb to get to the top and reach their goals and aspirations. Uh, but for me personally, it's just like if I can look to the left and the right and I can help someone no matter what they look like and no matter what their background is and everything. Um, eventually, I personally, my philosophy is like you'll, you'll get to where you want to go to and stuff. And so even if it is the long way about, like for me, if I'm doing it the right way, uh, when I do get to that moment, like I'm ready, prepared to do that because some people will fight and claw and, you know, maybe do something that is isn't professionally not the right way to go about it and they get to where they want to go to and they're not ready and stuff. And so I think, you know, 
people say karma, you know, like things of that nature that can happen and stuff. Mm. But it's for me, it's just like my faith is a big thing for me. And so it's just like yeah. treat others the way you want to be treated. And so yeah. I think if I can do that personally and treat those the way I want to be treated, um, yeah. even if they decide not to do that, that's going to make them think. And um, OK, why is she still treating me? in the proper yeah. way when I haven't been operating in the best way and stuff. And so that, that plants in my mind, mental seeds and stuff. And so um, it's powerful, isn't it? It's so powerful. The power of dignity, the mm -hmm. power of dignity, the power of integrity. Uh, it's a strength. I think that is a, is that under what's the word undervalued perhaps, you know, we can, we can talk about qualifications and we can talk about, you know, some job titles and all that is important. Don't get me wrong. Of course it is, but, the strength you're talking about here is something that's difficult to measure until you meet someone and, and work with someone and give them an opportunity to shine. And like you said, if, if there's already barriers to getting that opportunity to shine, then it's even harder to show that strength um, that you're talking about there as well. So I think great advice. Again, just talking to you and, and knowing you as I do, it, it's so clear that you are not just in this for yourself and you're not just in this to climb the ladder and you're not just even though you are at the top of the game and have been to the world cup you know you, you have to have that strength in those moments through the journey and, and in tough times i heard i heard jen fry once she goes to she's a speaker who goes to a lot of college campuses he was adding to that she was saying you know not just speak to me as you want to be spoken to speak to me as i want to be spoken to and that was another game changer for me because I'd always kind of treated everybody like I want to be treated. But then, you know, I don't know how a female African-American coach wants to be treated. I only think I know. So I had to put myself in a space of, well, how does this person want to be communicated with? Or how does this young man want to be communicated with? Or how does this trans person want to be communicated with? Whatever it is, how do I speak to them like they want to be spoken to? Uh, and I think that was a major moment as well of, uh, you know, certainly something, as you said, you're always learning, always developing. And, uh, you know, that's something I want to share with all our listeners as well. Really important segment to start off the podcast. Uh, great insight and wonderful um, inspiration from you. I really want to get into the soccer piece. So can we do that next? Yeah, sounds good. Sounds good. All right, then, goalkeeping. Let's get into goalkeeping, right? There are some, uh, what are the, what's the word for this? There's some cliches around goalkeeping that I want to try and tease out with you here, right? So, first of all, number one, a goalkeeper should never be beaten at the near post. Is this true or is this false? Oh, that's absolutely true. I feel like that is just <laughs> most ultimate insult if you get beat near post, you know? So, it can't happen. <laughs> Catch it and kick it. Is there more to it than that? Or is that what it is? Catch it and kick it. Catch it and kick it. I think yeah. there's definitely more to it. I think when you hear that <laughs> comment is just someone, I think goalkeeper is sort of like the goalkeeper and blood sort of boils a little bit. It's just like my, my yeah, job is more complex yeah. than just catching yeah. and kicking it. But yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's a complex position. I think you have to have a little bit of crazy in you. Uh, yeah. A little bit of, I don't really care what you think about me also yeah. and uh it's it's uh like you're on a team but you're also not on a team to a certain extent when it comes to like being on the team so yeah it's uh it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek but you are right um the, the goalkeepers union then we talked about it a little earlier but this is the thing isn't it and for those that 
perhaps don't know what that is. Can you give us a quick rundown of what the goalkeepers union is? Yeah, the goalkeeper union, you know, we just have to sort of create our own like team because when you look at training, especially the higher level you get, it's like you, you warm up on your own, like you do your training. And then at some point of when you, you join the team in training and stuff, but you're still sort of divided and everything. So um, human nature, you, you always need, you need your little like wolf pack. So the goalkeepers, we've definitely created the GK union and stuff. And there's, there's spoken and unspoken rules in the GK union. Um, if you're in it, you know, uh, but the biggest part about it is like the GK union always has to support the GK union. You can't, right. you can't take the side of the field players. You got to have each other's back and stuff, you know? And so, but it's, it's a fun space to be in and everything. Cause it's like, you know, you, the reason why I like being a goalkeeper is because it's like, you sort of have to like deny yourself a bit because you can be the starter and, you know, or you can be the second or the third or how many goalkeepers on your squad and stuff. But like, you want to push yourself to grow to be the best that you can, but then also realize if I'm not the number one, I have to like also train in a way that, you know, builds up who else is the number one, but also like, you know, if it's my time to step in and help out, like I'm ready to go and everything. So uh, it's a, uh, it's a cool space to be in player wise and coach wise. I, th I think it's again, such a strength uh, and it's everything that's right with healthy competition, isn't it? And I think back to all the goalkeeper unions that, you know, I've had or been involved with and all how they interacted and you know it is it is a special bond. It is a special bond because ultimately I and tell me if I'm wrong, but ultimately you all share this collective responsibility. Keeping the ball out of the goal, being the only player that's allowed to use your hand in and of itself sets you apart. However, you probably all know the feeling of one mistake and the ball going in the back of the net as well. And I don't know if there's another position on the pitch where you make a mistake and it's guaranteed almost to be a goal. Yes, it might lead to a goal. Yes, higher up the levels you go, I understand. But if you drop a ball or a ball goes through you that shouldn't, there is this kind of deflating feeling in the entire stadium, in the entire group. And how how do you deal with that as a goalkeeper, as a goalkeeper coach? How do you come past that? How do you prepare for that? Because it's, it's inevitable, isn't it? Every one of the best goalkeepers I've ever seen in my life this has happened to you. Can we deal with that moment and that strength it takes to move past that a little? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I think, you know, goalkeeping is definitely a hard job because um, a lot of times when you, you can get scored on and it's totally not your fault and people still already like boo at you and everything and stuff. So I think like what's been huge with goalkeeping is just the mindset behind it. Um, I think when you are strong and knowing in who you are, um, whether you get scored on, or whether, you know, and it's it's just a whole breakdown of the defense and, you know, it's obvious that it wasn't necessarily your fault or it is something where it's a blooper that happens because those do happen because we're all human. Um, it's, I call it like the bounce back effect. It's like how quickly can you reset your mind uh, to recognize, okay, that has happened. I can't change it. Now what can I do from here on out to like have a positive impact in the game and stuff? And so I've sort of coined this term called the uh, the keeper dark hole because there there's you can either bounce back or you can go into like this deep black hole of just like questioning your ability and everything of that nature so I think you know if you're coaching goalkeepers a big piece of it is just the mindset piece um and just figuring out you know what makes the goalkeeper tick what helps them be the best of their ability you know you have some goalkeepers where um they need for you to just hit these really hard shots at them and they make these big saves and that helps them like you know revive themselves or feel like they're ready. You have some goalkeepers who 
you know, like for instance, Becky is all about distribution. Like she's fantastic. I think she's one of the best goalkeepers in the world when it comes to using her feet. Um, you know, it's just, you know, her getting those reps within training so that, you know, that technique and stuff is, it's consistent, it's fluid, it's smooth and stuff. And so um, just going off of that, I think a big piece with training is like building out training where it's functional towards the game as much as possible, where also you're just constantly going over the basics because I think a lot of times with young goalkeepers they think I have to focus on these big like upper 90 saves and uh, crazy 1v1 saves and everything but when you look at a game uh, there's maybe a few of those in a span of a few games but at the reality of it is like can you do the basics properly can you catch it well can you make that distribution where it's short or long distance Uh, can you deal with the crosses the set pieces and stuff like that you know so I think the best way is to to prevent those moments of someone going into the deeper, the keeper uh, dark world, as I would say, is um, creating a training environment where you're practicing those things and and rebuilding that focus if that does happen and stuff. So It's, it's hugely psychological. There's a mm-hmm. huge element of this, like obviously all modern day coaching, sophisticated coaching is, but this is hugely psychological. I'm always amazed with the goalkeeper coaches that I've seen and the goalkeepers who you know, they're training away and they're diving around and they've got the, you know, down on the floor, back up for the next one. And, and you know, that might happen once a game. You have to actually make those two, three saves in a row, but it's the it's the process of going through that. And then one skip through it invariably does. And yet you see the strength from them where they just move on and they just have to move on. And it kind of encapsulates what you're talking about there. The best way I've heard it described, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, good, good friend of mine, top, top goalkeeper coach, guy called Lee Kendall, who's an ex-professional himself, worked, you know, all around the world, highest level in the game as well. He described it to me as goalkeepers should save the ones they should save and now and again pull out when they shouldn't. And I think that's one of the best ways I've ever heard it described. That's how a top goalkeeper operates. Still gives the room for, you know, they're not going to save everything, you're not going to keep a clean sheet every week, it's just unrealistic, but they save the ones they should. Can you perhaps give us some insight on what that means? What What is a, a shot or what is a goal or a save that they should make? Is it? There's a lot that goes into that, I'm sure. But would you agree with that analogy? Yeah, I would definitely agree to that analogy. Um, I think, you know, depending at the level of the goalkeeper, um, I think this is where it's important to have, like, your, your key player profile of a goalkeeper, what you're expecting, so that it's easier for the goalkeeper to see, okay, when am I expected to save you know, and if I can make those bigger saves, that's even, it's even more important and stuff, you know, I think for me as a goalkeeper myself, I had more the mentality of like, I want to save everything, Um, you know, obviously save what I'm supposed to save, but like how many, how much more can I save that they don't expect me to save? Um, Because I think that creates uh, a mentality like for your back line, for your team and everything, and, uh, and also for yourself and stuff. But at the same time, it's like not being hard on yourself when you don't make that save you're supposed to save or that big save that you can sort of envision yourself seeing you can make it and everything. And so um, just going back to your question, I think it's uh, making an analysis, making an IDP of like what you see with the goalkeeper that you're working with and um, what qualities they have. And it's like, okay, you know, I think for me personally, um, you know, obviously if it gets closer to the post or higher up, those are more of those like your uh, big, big saves that, you know, can you make one of those every once in a while? Um, but just like the general saves where like, you know, you can move your feet to dive to catch it, you know, you shuffle to catch the ball, uh, dealing with crosses within your range, 
um, things of those nature are like the everyday uh, saves that I think you need um, within whatever your team you're playing with and stuff. And so you also have to just like look at the league that you're playing in. What's the expectation to, um, you know, keep the team in. So there's a lot, there's a lot of factors to determine what that statement means. And so I think you have to like sit with yourself as a keeper coach and determine what's expected and uh, make sure that you're covering those things in training, but then also go over, the, over those bigger saves and stuff too. And also like, what is the opposition? Like, what are they bringing you? Whether it's the world cup or whether it's, uh, you know, you know, professional league, youth league or college league and everything. And so it comes that there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of moving pieces. My brain is just constantly just thinking about that, but I think that is the best way to explain it without having to have a whole other Ted talk of what that looks like. Which we could on each one of these things, I'm sure. Uh, Perhaps one last cliche then in this section, Um, should the goalkeeper come for everything inside the six yard box? No, um, I think that's something that actually would annoy me when I played. It's like, you know, yeah. the, the center back, you know, doesn't want to come out and head the ball and it's calling my name. Yeah. And it's something where it's driven. It has an ice. Uh, it's not floating, you know, and you have someone close there and you're right there. Like, OK, it's actually my job to tell you if I'm coming to get it or if I want you to head it out. And so that would actually fire me up with my team when I played and stuff. And I think uh, field player coaches need to recognize that also just like the fly the ball with the cross or like the set piece and everything because there's a certain free kick that if you can hit it you know just in the six and the 12 the pk spot um and it dips if i come out um i can look really dumb as a goalkeeper that corridor of uncertainty yeah and as you say delivery you know in the women's game it's getting better and better every year and and, you know that corridor of uncertainty is getting uh, exploited more and more so I'll take you back to um I'll take you back to early 2010. Um and I mentioned Lee there. Uh, Lee played for me in a, a college team that I was coaching back in Wales. And we played uh, the University of Bath away. And I remember doing a film session with him the next day with the team. And uh, Lee was sitting at the back of the room and he played a lot in top leagues and he was an ex pro and he wasn't really expecting me to say much. And I've kind of done what you've said there. I've said about you know, you've got to come for this. You've got to come for this cross, and because uh, it's in the six-yard box, as, a, as an outfield coach, you know, might say. And uh, I remember, I remember him sort of falling off his chair and spitting his coffee out in front of him. And oh, he, he, what, what are you saying to me? What you know, he really lost his, uh, he really lost his way with me a little bit because I said he just has to come for every single ball. And it's exactly what you're saying there, and I always remember that. It's funny, but um, I think you're right. The nuance behind every delivery and every situation and the detail you guys go into with the goalkeepers in your reviews and stuff it's not something that gets talked about a lot but it should be because it's real cutting edge high level stuff and and you know really really impressive level of detail and analysis and how it shapes future goalkeeping i've, I've seen um you know in had thermal environment should should be talked about a lot more mm-hmm. so you mentioned earlier on about, uh, you know, with the Jamaica team now and having three goalkeepers and you've got your goalkeepers union and you're all together and you're all in it. And we've discussed how amazing it is that everybody wants everybody to do well. We see a situation happening at Arsenal right now with David Rea and Aaron Ramsdale. And, you know, Arquette has talked about a little bit of, you know, I'm going to rotate my goalkeepers and I might not have a number one. And he's kind of playing with all the, unexpected, um, unspoken rules of goalkeeping that you have a number one and you, the other one's a number two and 
for the first time in the Premier League, uh, we're starting to hear rhetoric that's throwing that in a question mark on all that stuff. The things that we just always assumed were goalkeeping stalwart things. Can we talk to you about this and, and, and how true this number one, number two, number three thing is? Are we going to see a world where goalkeepers are substituted 36 minutes in for tactical reasons? Like, where are we going in the modern game with all this with goalkeeping? Yeah, um, definitely starting to see that more and more. I think where you've sort of seen it before, like to this magnitude, is just like, you know, let's say you go into overtime and it goes into a PK shootout. Sometimes you have a goalkeeper who's fantastic when it comes in the, to the run of the play, but then maybe the other keeper is, you know, PK specialist and stuff. And so um, I think if this becomes something that's more consistent across Premier League, you know, men's or women's side of soccer, it's it's going to have to be a clear understanding, I guess, of roles and responsibilities among the GK union. I think it's the, the hugest, biggest piece of that. And is do you have three goalkeepers who understand that, okay, based on tactics of the opposition, okay, most likely I'm playing this. And is, can you, do you have goalkeepers who are able to, you know, be ready to go just like that? Because I think when you have a, a definite number one and number two and everything, it's like everyone can sort of go into autopilot and know their roles and responsibilities within training, within playing and stuff. But like, you know, it, it depends, it depends on the goalkeeper, to be honest, it depends on the mentality of how they can handle. Okay. You know, this goalkeeper starting in the first half. Okay. Once we get to this part of the end, we're a seven based on our tactics, we're trying to shift and everything, you know, it's, it, I think it's going to have to be dependent on, you know, the manager and also the keeper coach and the staff and probably even like the sports psychologists of, can you create a mindset within the goalkeeper union that, uh, okay, I'm not just going to sit on the bench until someone gets hurt. Like, you know, I'm playing this game and I'm getting into that game. Because uh, I think also ego can be a thing as a player too, you know, and when you're playing that high of a level, um, you've obviously worked very hard to get there. And so I think, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, it's it's a bit more, I would say, comfortable and consistent to know that you're playing in everything versus like, okay, I'm playing in this type of game because I have more of a distribution specialty or you know I have more of a shot stopping specialty so I'm gonna go in this game and stuff so there's a lot of there's a lot of moving pieces I honestly don't mind it but I think the big piece about it is just the communication understanding of like what's the plan with that from the beginning so that everyone is aware so that you don't mess up the the psyche of the, the goalkeepers it's important isn't it I I don't know if I ever had the opportunity to say this to you but we, we obviously worked together for you know a couple of years in in the Jamaican national team setup and it was obviously pre-pandemic and through the pandemic, very challenging, difficult times. We obviously couldn't get together as much as, as we wanted as a team. But I think what always impressed me the most about you when I when I did get to work with you was you you always treated each of those goalkeepers with a, the same level of respect and, and an individual message. And I've seen in the past people maybe, you know, the starting goalkeeper gets all the time and the attention, even even in the way they greet him, you know, in the in the breakfast hall, it's different to how Maybe the young up and coming um, goalkeeper from the youth national setup is treated, or whatever it might be, right? And all these players are in our squad, and, and I always remember being so impressed about how your level of professionalism, you know, was with each and every individual outfield players too, of course. But the the squad role or status never depended on how you treated them and how you coached them and, and the way you were with them, and that was always something that was so impressive to me. Is that, you know, obviously it's a conscious choice on your part, but is that difficult or is that like something you've always just done naturally? 
I think that's always something I've just done naturally because I think for myself, just growing up in Mississippi, uh, which it's a challenging state to grow up in as a, a not only a female, but as African-American. And, um, you know, huge credit to my parents. Uh, they taught me it doesn't matter what someone looks like or, or where they come from. You know, it's like you're going to treat them with respect and dignity and everything. And so I think that's just something that has just moved in to anything that I do. You know, I think for me, it's like if I can meet and come across someone, um, hopefully they feel like they they feel important. You know, I think that's one thing that everyone should feel is feel important no matter what uh, social economical status you're in and everything and stuff. And because everyone has a role and responsibility, everyone's needed. Like, you know, if, if you can't just not have one person, but then have everyone be the same, like the world wouldn't operate the way it does and stuff. And so, um, you know, I, I got to see that from my dad. Uh, he works in the university setting and, um, you know, he has a PhD in physics and growing up, I would go to the lab after soccer training or after school and hang out with him a little bit. And sometimes I would like, you know, he would come support me with soccer and then go back to work late. And I would say, Hey, can I come with you? He'd just go to pick up books and stuff. And, um, he would, we would see the janitors because janitors are always there late and everything. And like, you know, he would talk, stop and talk with them, you know, see how they're doing, you know, how he could help out and everything. And so just seeing that from him and also seeing it from my mom, like just said, I'm home right now. And what she did was, is we were at a basketball game at the university he works at. And she saw, she saw this young girl, um, uh, I don't think she was African-American, but she wasn't, you know, she's a minority uh, in, in the U.S. and everything. And uh, they have like the whole T-shirt toss that you see like at basketball games, see all the fans all riled up and everything. And, you know, she, my mom's competitive too. I think I get my competitive edge from her also, but the the T-shirt was thrown and the girl in front missed it. And so the young lady behind her caught yeah. it. And so yeah. I feel like it's an unspoken rule that if, if the person in front misses it and the person behind it catches it, it's theirs. But then this mm -hmm. weird situation happened where this young lady who was a minority, it was like, I think police who was just security came over, spoke with her and made her give the t-shirt to the kid in front. And so my mom, my mom is like Hawkeye. She sees everything. So yeah. she saw this from across the arena and she was like, that's not right. Like, let's go see if we can sort that out. And so my mom, you know, being resilient and as strong as she is and doesn't really care what people think, she goes and finds a t-shirt, walks over there, says, hey, I saw what happened. She actually got the t-shirt. Can you give her this t-shirt? And so just to see that was a reminder of like, you know, uh, of how my parents have, you know, raised me the right way to like, you know, not only like stand up for myself, but to stand up for others who don't necessarily can speak up and everything. And the cool thing was, it was like, this kid took the t-shirt and put it on immediately. And like her whole like day, like shifted and changed and stuff. And so, um, that's just something that has just been ingrained in me from my parents and stuff and everything. And uh, you don't know what someone's dealing with. And so like, you know, if you can treat everyone in the right way, I think it's easier to to shift things like what you're saying with Arsenal, where it's like, you know, okay, I understand my importance and I'm ready to go. But like, if you have a scenario where it's just like you treat the number one a certain way and the two and the three a different way, it's, it's harder to have that mentality where they're ready to shift, to turn it on, to, to come into a game and, you know, make those big saves and make those saves that you expect them to make because it's like okay well what's my worth based on the environment I've been in outside of the game so that's just my mentality there. Alicia it's, it's so powerful to hear somebody speaking in such an authentic way where your core values and the things you believe are emanating into your professional work the things you do the decisions you make the, the processes you you live by are so much part of your authentic self and that 
for me anyway, is like plugging into an energy store. So thank you. Um, what an amazing story. What an amazing story about like the moments where we, we have to act and, and we choose to act. And perhaps in the past, we haven't acted. Um, and I think everybody lives that, don't they? Everybody has a choice. Every time you see that or see any kind of discrimination or any choice of any kind, you have a chance to stand up and, and, and um, you know, and speak and do something. And, you know, I think more and more we encourage that, the better for people coming into this industry or aspiring coaches um, who want to work in the women's game, be prepared for that moment. It's coming. And, and I think the expectation in 2023 going forward is that you will be ready to meet that moment. Whereas in the past, I think far too often it was left silent. And uh, as you say, props to your man there for an amazing uh, lesson and, and showing you uh, the power of action. Mm-hmm. Okay. Already so much insight in this episode. Want to sign off by kind of talking a little bit about the things that coaches get right in the women's game, the things that they're getting wrong, where we're going, where we've been. You know, I want aspiring coaches who are coming into the women's game to, to be conscious of, of how they act and the, how they coach. Yes, you can have a playing philosophy. Yes, you can know the tactical ins and outs of the game, but it's much, much more than that, isn't it? Once you've spent time in it and, and lived in that world, it, it, you know, it's really important that we have this conversation. So, so if I can put that over to you, Alicia, where are we where are we going? What what are we getting right? What are you seeing that is right? What are you seeing that we need to change and improve in terms of advice and, and help for aspiring coaches in the women's game? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um obviously players who are playing the game right now, whether they're in youth college or pro, there's a different mindset. I would say, at least for me personally, from when I was playing, um, I think for me as a player. Um, once I knew I could trust you as a coach, I would run through a wall. It's like, okay, if that's the game plan, I'm doing it type of mentality. Um, I think nowadays a lot of players want to ask why a lot. That's like the big, like mental question that happens and stuff, you know? And, um, I think unfortunately it's sort of what's happening right now is like, you know, have coaching, coaching at different levels and also spend a lot of time recruiting, uh, being a college coach. Uh, one of the scary things that I do see that sort of like sets players up for uh for failure, you know, down the line is watching, you know, youth soccer and I'm on the sidelines, you know, observing and recruiting players. And I see a coach just yelling and belittling, uh, you know, their player and stuff like that. Um, I think as coaches, you know, those who are aspiring to, to be a coach, it goes back to sort of what I said in the beginning of that the premise of sports is to help develop humans to, to be the best version of themselves, to compete, to deal with adversity, and to understand that life is about process. And um, what's becoming challenging as a coach is there's so many things that are instantaneous. Like, you know, if I like Christmas shopping, I don't go to the store anymore. You know, I, there's this, there's this, uh, this cool fantasy world of Amazon prime where I can order something and it's got even better where like I order it the night before and it's there in the morning. Like that's, that's crazy. We're back in time. Like, you know, for me growing up is like, if you want something, you have to get up, you have to go to the store. You got to like, compare prices and stuff like on multiple stores like there's more of a process to it and um i think just how everything's become so automated it's even of more importance in sports especially like i think a huge developmental age is the club soccer age because like if you look in europe at academies and stuff like you know I, i've studied a lot with ix like what they're doing and their process and stuff 
um, they're learning, you know, technical stuff, tactics, uh, you know, mental pieces of the game, like, you know, agilities and stuff. Like they're mastering a lot of these things, like using both feet, you know, making decisions of where to pass at short or long range. And they're, they're younger than 13. And like, if you look at how things are going in the U.S., uh, it's interesting because I coach with some players, some some coaches right now who are from Europe and they're like, what's happening over here? Um, where I came from, like at this age, this player can head the ball, they can trap it, they can dribble, they can make decisions and stuff. And then you look at a kid who's 11 or 12 in the U.S. and they're still struggling to kick it with their dominant foot and stuff, you know. And so um, I think it's if we can find a way of, as coaches, you know, from the youth to the college and even the pro level, because like I said, you can always learn something no matter how old you are. It's just a matter of are you willing to do that? Um, it's can we can we teach the process and help kids understand that it's okay to fail uh, you know you hear all the stories about Michael Jordan saying like you know didn't make the high school team but like he when you, you say Michael Jordan you think of one of the best players in NBA history and everything like that and so um, it's being kind to others like I was saying it was like treating everyone like you know like they're the best player you know um, helping them create life skills and stuff understanding that yelling and screaming and stuff like they might listen and receive that but a lot of these kids when they get to college it's like they don't want to have to hear any of that anymore or there's another side of it too where it's like as a female coach i've experienced i've had a a college player come up to me and say why aren't you yelling at us yeah push and it's like that's not healthy it's not healthy for you to yell that and everything and if you watch coaches at the highest level they're not yelling and screaming at their players and stuff like those moments of creating uh, what you're trying to do from a tactical standpoint is happening in training. So I would say my challenge to anyone who's looking to coach is, can you learn to be a master of teaching the game at a basic level, teaching uh, players how to master skills, especially at the the youth level. Um, And I think a cool point as a coach is when you coach and teach a player what you're looking for them to do and they do it autonomously but not only that, but they're using that basic foundation to make decisions themselves and learning and growing from that and not having a negative like response to mistakes happening instead. It's yeah. like, okay, this happened. Okay. What should I do next? And it's, yeah. that's one thing I sort of focused on with goalkeeping at all different levels. It's like, I'm going to teach you how to master the basics, but I want you to get to the point where instead of you coming to me and saying, coach, what I do wrong. It's by the time you walk up to me, you know, and then exactly. we can talk through it and I, you can problem solve it yourself because that's that's a concept that's being lost. And I think when you just want to yell and joystick, you lose the concept of building uh, problem solving skills in like the yeah. players that you're coaching. And so I think that's a big thing that's missing right now because uh, that that creates trauma and it also creates a lot of work with whoever has to coach the, the player next. And mm-hmm. like I said, it's about developing humans and helping them be the best version and not that's that's teaching the opposite in my opinion and stuff and yeah so. i agree i agree let's have it right let's have it right it's not on it's not acceptable it's not on it's not professional it's not what we should be doing it's not what we should be seeing it's not what you should be seeing as a college coach out there recruiting and i've seen the same thing it's got to stop 2023 i don't want to be sat here in 2030 uh with the same problem because of the trauma it causes and because of the the anxiousness and the, and, the, and the danger it has to, to later on down the line. And this is not an environment we want our, our young players, our young female players in. So it's a call to action for sure. It's I think it's in the national conversation or Carly Lloyd's comments really. I, 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 I 
referred to before. And I'm glad that Carly's come out and said what she said in recent times because it's thrown the spotlight on this. But we cannot be here in 2026, 2027 talking about the same thing. And mm -hmm. it is a call to action and it does have to change. And you put it way more eloquently than I think I could have said. I hope, I hope that that is the case. I hope that going forward we do see this change. It is so important, isn't it? It's probably the most important thing in youth female coaching that I see, not just in America, but everywhere at this time. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think it's definitely something that it needs to be addressed. I think it's it's starting to happen. And so that's that's mm -hmm. good to hear too. Um, and so I think it's not something that's going to change overnight. You know, I think it has to start at the younger levels. And as you, you rise up in the college and the professional level, you know, it's just uh, – it goes back to like what I said, it's like treat the way, the way you want to be treated, you know, treat mm -hmm. everyone is coming from different backgrounds, different upbringings and stuff. And like by yelling and doing that, you don't know how that could affect someone based on like what they've dealt with, you know, before you even met them and like what they exactly. have experienced exactly. and stuff. And that could trigger something and everything too. And, um, you know, I think I've dealt with coaches who have yelled like that and everything. And mm -hmm. it, for me, it just got to the point, I think, you know, like I told you stories with my parents, it's just resiliency, I think is something like that's just built into our family. And so I I just focus on my why and what I'm trying to do. And I would just ignore that. But I think nowadays what's happening is a lot of players don't have that same, uh, I guess, drive to ignore that, which, mm. um, so if you don't. And it, sorry, sorry, Elisa, but isn't that a, that's a sad indictment in and of itself as well, isn't it? that you have to develop a system just to ignore it, to get by. And, and you're right, like maybe generations coming forward will change and are changing, but they shouldn't have to, should they? They shouldn't have to ignore it to get by. It's, yeah. What you're saying there is you you made the best of a bad situation, but mm -hmm. I suppose going forward, we don't even want them to have to do that, do we, is what we're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Like that, that should not be a mindset that I had to create is to ignore that and everything, you know, mm -hmm. and at the end of the day, you know, I, I understand like soccer is a, it's a big piece of everyone's life and everything, but like it's, like I said, at some point in time, like you hang up the cleats and you move on to something else. And so it's like when you do take that moment to hang up the cleats, when you look back, you know, fortunately for me, like now I'm coaching, but um, I will talk to, to teammates I played with in semi-pro, college, professionally and everything. Um, and you sort of hear more of the stories of like all the crazy things that happened that they were just like, why this happened versus like having a good experience and enjoying everything. And I would say for me, like, you know, from college on, like I, I had, college was a fantastic four years. You know, I think I had coaches that really understood that it's about, it's about people. And I think a lot yeah. of times you have coaches will have all these, um, these recruiting selling stories. We're saying we're family and everything and things of that nature, but that's not the reality of it. It's more of a business yeah. for them and stuff. And so I think, you know, what I've learned of just with coaching with college and for me, the people who I've chose to work for, uh, as the assistant, like I picked them because I thought there were people who have morals and standards and understand that this is an issue and they want to change that and they actually want to coach the game and they actually want to build up strong women for the future and stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, I think the, the sad part about it though is like those coaches that I've worked with were given quite a hard time. And since, you know, you have a lot of youth coaches who do yell and even college coaches who do yell, um, once they started coaching these kids, they couldn't understand what was going on because they weren't getting yelled at the way they were before. Mm. And then you start questioning someone's ability of, can they actually coach? And it's like, actually yeah. that's the the proper way of coaching in itself and stuff, mm. you know? And so 
um, it's definitely it's definitely a big issue that needs to be addressed and continue to be addressed. And I hope, like you said, like if we look at the next World Cup cycle, like that's something mm-hmm. that's no longer a big issue that it's been dealt with. And, you know, players learn how to like speak up their mind and everything. And, you know, when they do need help with being in high pressure situations, they feel comfortable doing that. And then you also yeah. have coaches who are can who have the tools to to help out these players yeah um, yeah because and it, it it needs to be on the agenda somebody important somewhere needs to put it on the national agenda and it has to be discussed because in my experience it's not and what i'm seeing and, and it's not everybody of course there's phenomenal youth coaches in this country there's great youth coaching there's phenomenal college coaching i know a lot of people in the especially in the power five league that i've come in contact with who are unbelievable teachers of young people and mentors of young people. It isn't everybody. Mm-hmm. But this is a conversation that needs to happen. And it is generally people I see, vulnerable people, often male, I will say that, who are inadequate in their own knowledge or inadequate in their own feeling of self. And you can see it. You can see that the way they get by that is not by improving themselves, is not by developing their own skills or their own qualifications or experience. It's by screaming at young, at young females, female staff or female players. And it's not acceptable. And if, yeah. if anybody wants to come on this podcast and tell me different, we'll have a proper conversation about it. They're more than welcome to, because I don't see any empirical, any academic, any vocational evidence to suggest that any of this approach helps any player develop or win or be better or be a better version of themselves for the future. And that is, you know, that's my final point. Really. I definitely, I definitely agree. I think, you know, it's, What's been unique, though, I feel like from a pro level is like you have these pro female athletes who are willing to speak up and say, okay, enough's enough. And so I think now that you're hearing more of that conversation, it's going to trickle down to, Mm. you know, college and also like youth soccer and everything. So hopefully it it happens sooner than later is what I'm hoping. Yeah, I agree. Let's be there for the NCAA, you know, youth leagues in the country, powerful youth leagues, powerful stakeholders. Let's be there for these people so they don't have to wait. 10 years and then come out like the pros did and say, this is what happened. Let's make sure that's the case. Yeah, exactly. As, as we sign off then, what a phenomenal hour it's been. I can't thank you enough for your time. It's obviously, you know, it, for someone to invest this level of time and effort and, and generally show this level of care for where the game is going and the people who are listening to us who are dreaming of doing what you've done in the game, Lisa, like, I can't thank you enough from everybody here at the pro player this is exactly what the podcast is meant to be about, to, to give aspiring coaches and people working within the game the strength they need and the inspiration they need to, to continue on their journey and to leave it better than what they found it. There's, you know, the game needs people like you. The game needs you in it. Where are we going to see you going forward in the future? We have to see you in international football. We have to see you in the National Women's Soccer League. We have to see you in prominent roles in college and youth soccer where, where are we going to see you in the future where do you want to go uh you know for me for my hope you know i think being more involved in the program is something i want to do next for sure uh, i think you know just being able to to be with this team in the last world cup cycle uh from the conquer half qualifications up to the world cup um just the experience of working with high level coaches understand the game and understand people um that's definitely created a new hunger for me to experience that and um, also to just continue to grow in the game. I think, you know, one of the differences is like with high level international soccer, it's like you have more time to focus on the football piece and the culture piece. Whereas in college, there's a lot of admin 
and then you have even less on the field and everything. So I think that's um, where I see myself next. And also, you know, trying to help out with the youth side of things too. If I can find, if it's the ideal world, it's finding a way to do both. Um, because like I said, I think, you know, at the the youth club level, especially in the US, like that's the years to really set a solid foundation and everything, you know, not only from just like a soccer standpoint, from just a life and a mental standpoint, you know, that'd be huge to, to leave a mark from that standpoint too, you know, and um, love international football, you know, looking forward to seeing what's next with that, with coaching at, at that level. Um, you know, but for me right now, it's, uh, it's like a, a season of reflection and um, analyzing and determining, you know, okay, what are the next steps, you know, I've gotten to, to coach at this high level, you know, internationally at the world cup. Okay. What's my next steps to continue to grow, you know, both on and off the field to, to help people. Cause like I said, that's like my why with coaching is I want to help others through the, the game of soccer. So um, I'm really, I'm really excited. You know, I think, to those who are inspired to be coaches or those who are coaches, I think coaches mm -hmm. all have this moment where it's just like, why am I doing this? Because there's a lot of dirty work, a lot of a grit you have to have. And uh, there's a lot of moments where people make you sort of question what you're doing. And, you know, you try, you, you have to know your why you have to know what brings you joy. And I think also just having a solid foundation for yourself outside of the game, because, you know, whether things do go great or they don't go great, it's like, that doesn't define, you know, like your mental status and stuff and everything. And so I think what's, what's cool for me is like my faith is a big piece. And so um, that's where a lot of my, um, my core values and everything come from and stuff. And so I know at the end of the day, like, you know, big things will continue to come. So I'm not really worried about that. And so it's just, and, you know, until I get to where I want to get to, it's like, you know, am I making the most out of each day with how I treat others and also just how I uh, evolve myself. So. Wow. Words to live by. And for any, any aspiring coach or anybody in the industry who is currently under pressure and working every day and doing everything, I think what you'll take there is probably the best way to look at not only just being ambitious and, and wanting to move forward in the game, where there's nothing wrong with that at all, but also taking everything out of every single day as you can in terms of, you know, we're only here for a short period of time and, and making sure that you, you know, you do garner everything you can out of the experiences that you get. It's been an absolutely phenomenal episode, Alicia. I can't thank you enough. I don't know that we've had, you know, as many guests on or will in the future that live as authentically and close to their true self as you do and still manage to maintain this high level of professionalism and, and delivery. And literally, I can speak from personal experience, I know that you are leaving environments better than how you find them. So thank you so much for coming on and being an inspiration. We, we can't thank you enough. We, we hope to talk to you again in the future. We can't wait to see where you're going to go next. We're certainly going to be supporting from from behind or from the sidelines. And uh, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. I've really enjoyed uh, this conversation. It's been great. It's always good to have conversation with quality human beings and also people who love the game and understand that there's a bigger piece of the puzzle of it outside the, the X's and O's. So thanks. <laughs>